Welcome to the Protectors Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Piccolo. Hey, I'd like to welcome Jennifer Marshall to the Protectors Podcast. How are you doing today, Jennifer? Hello. Thank you so much for having me and being flexible with my crazy schedule. Oh, I understand that. Definitely. It, this must be like actor week. We just we just came off of Michael Broderick. So now we have you. This is awesome. I love seeing He's, vets in industry. He's a great choice for sure. Definitely. So the first thing we're, I just wanted to go over uh, for our listeners out there is tell me a little bit about your background. I know you kind of grew up in Colorado and I, I lived there for a few years. I love it. So ah. I can't, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I graduated from high school in a one-stop light town. There were 79 people in my graduating class and it was really just a matter of which recruiter reached out to me first. I knew I wanted to go in. I had about um, you know nine veterans in my my family, you know, that's not counting distant cousins. That's, you know, aunts, uncles, grandparents, father. So I knew that I, I wanted to join. So I went in and I served in the Navy for five years. I was deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003. And it really just made me the best version of me that could exist. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to serve our country. Now, was that like your big goal in high school was, hey, you know what, when I get out, I want to join the military? Or was acting like part of what you were back then oh, as well? Oh my gosh, no. Acting was not even a, a thing. It wasn't even a thought. I did musical theater in high school, but that was mainly because, you know, you go to a small town and pretty much everybody can participate. I wasn't, you know, I didn't find myself to be particularly talented or even a great singer. God forbid if some of those tapes of the musical should ever resurface, it just guard your ears. It's pretty horrible stuff. <laughs> and um, so I, that was not even a thought process. It was definitely like, I want to go into the military. I want to serve my country. And, you know, I thought that I would probably be in for 20, 30 years. I, I loved the Navy. I loved everything about it. Now you had a few different jobs in the military and then, I what, did. Can you, yeah. Can you tell me about that? Well, you know, Navy, the acronym is never again, volunteer yourself. <laughs> so when I first went in, um, I had wanted to go in as a Navy corpsman, but it was closed to women at that time because there were so many women, uh, there weren't enough men. And so they had locked it down for about six months. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to wait six months. I left for boot camp right after graduation, five weeks after graduation. And I said, I want to start this journey now. So I actually ended up going in undesignated. And, um, you know, my recruiter was like, you'll pick your your job when you get to the fleet. Uh, horrible, horrible advice. Never do that. Um, so I went in and then I ended up striking for aviation storekeeper, which is basically just logistics on the aviation side. And I did that. And uh, before that, I was a plane captain. And then after September 11th, the Navy said, oh gosh, we don't know of anybody who can shoot. We only shoot five live rounds in boot camp. This was pre 9-11. Um, nobody knows how to shoot. All of our sailors can tie some awesome knots, but that's really not helpful in the war on terror. So anybody who, you know, was a marksman or a sharpshooter, they pulled and said, all right, now you are on the ship security defense force team until we get other people qualified, which was quite a lengthy process. So, you know, there was probably about a year or 18 months there where I stood double watches, eight hours on a regular basis. And I was at the, at that time, one of the only females on that team. Uh, later, I ended up on the repair locker fire team. So, 
when we were out to sea and we had a fire, uh, we were one of the teams that would respond to the fire. So yeah, it was, it was great. And you know, the last two collateral duties I had with the ship security defense force team and the repair locker fire team, those were male dominated positions. So to be a female, to do well in those and kind of show, you know, other, other sailors, male sailors, here I am and I'm doing just as good as you are, if not better. You know, that was a great experience for me. And I, I think for some of the younger females on the ship to see that as well. Now, that must have been really interesting to actually, hey, you know what? Now you're going to be locked and loaded. You're armed. This is uh, post-USS Cole. We're mm-hmm. now in, you know, post-9-11. So you never know what's going to happen. So, I mean, what's going through your mind? All of a sudden, you know, you go from logistics to, wow, you know, I'm carrying a real gun. Did you grow up with guns? And No, you know, I never shot until I had gone into the military. Until boot camp, I'd never shot. And I just really enjoyed it. I shot recreationally after that. And I just really took to it. I've always been a good shot. I still shoot to this day. I still go and shoot. Um, it, it For me, it was more of a relief. It wasn't something that I was worried about. It was like, all right, now our watch standers, you know, are rock, rocking and rolling ready to go. Because when the USS Cole happened, uh, I want to say that they, they were not unarmed, but I believe the M16s that they had probably were not loaded. They had the ammunition with them. They had the magazine with them, but they probably were not loaded. I don't really remember what it was. I just remember that I had a friend who was in that battle group, and when the terrorist attack happened, um, that was that was the incident that changed and said, no, our watch standers actually have to be armed, one in the chamber, et cetera, as opposed to just kind of, oh, look at the scary black gun I have. And maybe that, you know, just the thought of it'll make you turn that boat away and, you know, ride away. Um, no, it's it's serious. And with terrorism, it was a, a change that needed to happen. And I'm thankful that it did. It's sad that it happened as a result of the USS Cole in 9-11, but it was a badly needed change. No, I remember that. I was a uh... I was a 90s enlisted guy, mm-hmm. and then I did a tour as an officer later on, post-9-11. But yeah, the 90s were so different. I mean, mm-hmm. 90s leading up to 9-11 were so different. And God forbid you had a magazine with a loaded round right. you know, in a chamber back then. So yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. So uh, wow. So that was a good experience for you, you know, obviously. because uh, such it, a good experience. It shows like later on in your your career, like where you're at now. So Mm -hmm. you get out of the military. What happens next? You just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to become an actor. No. Where did the bug come? (laughs) Once again, no, that was not. I mean, that was something other people did. Certainly not Jennifer Marshall. Um, Never went through my my thought process. I actually... I had done some musical theater my last year in the Navy, just on base with a local group, because I knew that I was good enough. If it was limited to like military and veterans, retirees, dependents, I knew I could kind of get at least a chorus role in the in that limited of group. But I didn't know out in town, could I actually compete with, you know, real actors. And so I, I started doing musical theater with this group. And I, I really underestimated the talent because there were some incredibly talented people, but you just don't put military and the arts together, you know, when you're thinking about that. So I did some shows with them and then there was a chief in my group and I said, Hey, I just saw you on a commercial. How did that happen? Like, how'd you make the leap from the stage on the base to, to TV? And it was a local commercial. And he said, well, I take acting courses at this place. So the class was, I think, $400 for 12 weeks. And I said, oh, if I end up getting scammed, I'm going to get scammed. I don't know. But I took this class and I actually booked my first gig the first two weeks in. And ever since then, it's just, uh, it's been on a roll. That's actually really interesting. I was like, wondered how people jump, make that step. And, uh, you know, do you find your military, 
you know, your dedication, your, you know, you're kind of just showing up on time and everything else kind of helped with that class? Cause, or did you notice like some people in the class were just like, Hey, you know, I'll just do this and it's going to naturally come to me. Oh my gosh. I mean, career wise, it has helped, it has helped immensely. It, it's funny because acting is one of those things where everybody says, oh, it's the art of it. And oh, I need to go over this monologue. And everybody's, you know, very serious about this stuff. But at the same time, they neglect the business side. So military had helped me so much because it is show business. It's not show art, it's show business. So when I came out to Los Angeles, I was like, all right, these are all the things I have to accomplish. I'm going to get it done. So, you know, I was very fortunate. I was able to get an agent and a manager right away. And I kind of swapped agents. I was looking for the right fit and I have the perfect fit now. But one thing I always strive to be as a client of theirs was what I want to represent me. I'm going to do everything possible to make their jobs easy. So if they ask me to do something, there's no excuses. You either do it or you don't. There's no, well, I tried trying. I mean, excuses are like, you know what? Everybody has them. They stink. Nobody cares. So I think being a vet serving having that mindset of mission and just getting things done has been super instrumental in how far I've come in such a short amount of time because I only moved to Los Angeles. I started acting in Los Angeles in 2013. So prior to that, I had done some non-union things, some local commercials, but nothing big. So I've been out here for six years and I've booked the vast majority of my credits um, within that six years. And you know, I have friends who are still trying to get that elusive first television role and they've been here six years, eight years, 10 years. So I think there's something to say about what we bring into it as veterans or law enforcement or, or any sort of, you know, public service job, what we bring to the arts as far as just getting it done. And that's, you're, I'm noticing so much difference in media now as far as TV and movies. Now, one of your roles that I really liked was uh, Hawaii Five O. I mean, mm, just because you. you get, you know, you get the military, you get the salutes, you get everything down, you get the uniforms right. And, you know, now you're seeing that with the, the Navy SEAL show, you're seeing it all over the place. That's what I love about like having veterans on set mm-hmm. and representing. I mean, it's great. But one thing, one role I, you know, the one show I absolutely love, and I'm sure you heard it a million times, is Stranger Things. How did that happen? <laughs> well, I'll talk about Stranger Things, and I want to head back to Hawaii Five-O after that. Um, Stranger Things is amazing. I was a huge fan the first season. So my agent had emailed me something, and she said, you know, I have an audition for you, and it's for the role of Sadie Sink's mother on the show. And I had known who plays Max, and I had known of Sadie's work. I was a fan of her work. She's a tremendous young woman. And I said, oh my gosh, I I know Sadie's work. I watched her in a show called American Odyssey. She was Annie on Broadway, a bunch of things. And so I, I was familiar with her, and I looked at her, and I said, my gosh, we look very similar. I have green eyes. She has blue eyes, but our hair is the same. Our coloring's the same. We are very similar. Even our face structure is the same. So I knew if I had somewhat of a good audition, I had a shot of booking it. Now, the only problem is as actors, even if you have a great audition, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to book it because, you know, what if the producer owes somebody a favor? They decide to go with somebody with better credits or, you know, somebody sleeping with somebody. You know, that's certainly not the case with Stranger Things. That that doesn't happen on that set, but it has happened, you know, in other things that I've auditioned for. So you just never know. So I booked it. I flew out and shot. It was amazing. And then I didn't really understand how big it was until the day that it aired. I couldn't tell anybody, which was horrible. For months, I couldn't say anything. 
And so I got back and then the next morning I woke up because people had stayed up all night and binged it. And so the next morning I woke up to spoilers. And what people don't understand is that show has no leaks and it's because they don't give out full scripts. They give everybody just what they work on. Maybe the kids have full scripts. I don't know. But everyone that I have talked to only gets a portion. So people were like, Bob died and you know, all these spoilers. So I had to turn off my phone. I was like, guys, I did not know any of this. Oh, you know, who would have thought that would have been such a, well, I mean, someone obviously knew it was going to be a breakout hit, but yeah, Yeah. that's just crazy. And I'm glad, I'm glad you want to go back to Hawaii 5.0 because my daughter and I watch it all the time. That's like just a nice, I don't know. Yeah, there's some, you know, my daughter's eight. She shouldn't be watching stuff like that. But hey, you know what? It's awesome. Well, Hawaii Five-0 was wonderful. And Hawaii Five-0 is, you know, for those people who haven't seen the episode, basically I play a joint mortuary affairs officer and I am overseeing the transfer of an airman who was killed abroad, who was brought home. He was killed in Afghanistan. And that particular role, I, I mean, that scene got retweeted and shared so many times. It was one of Hawaii Five-0's highest rated episodes in the series history, not just the season. And I think it's because it brought sacrifice home to everybody who's at home. You know, the 1%, 1% of, of, of American citizens serve. So you've got 1% of people serving and 99% of people saying, well, maybe I know a vet, my great grandfather in World War II. And yes, we've got some wars going on, but these are kind of other people's wars. They happen over there. Oh, somebody was killed. That's too bad. It's just a passing thought. So this particular episode really brought it home for people and put that sacrifice in context. And it was wonderful because when I went on set, the director, Ron Underwood, was so great. And he said, listen, you know, the script supervisor came up and she said, would you mind saying this? And I said, you know, I'm an actor. I'll say whatever you want. But I do want you to know that as a veteran, it gives, it makes more sense the way you had it before. And I explained why. And she went to the director and the director said, listen, Jennifer's the subject matter expert. She knows what needs to happen. Let's go with her instinct. They had two different uh, advisors on there. They had a SEAL who was a technical advisor and they had somebody in the Air Force who had overseen funerals. So that was so meaningful to me because Yes. Did you? Did I have to be the best actor to book the role? Yes. But at the same time, they saw the value, Jennifer Cooper casting, saw the value in bringing in a veteran, bringing in a veteran who's now an actor for that particular role. And Peter Lenkoff, the executive producer, he's very vet friendly. He's the first to give vets in, in the industry a chance. So I think that was the perfect storm of here's a role that's perfect for a veteran turned actor. And everything came together. And I'm very, very thankful because I feel like that scene impacted a lot of people. No, it did. We just watched that one, you know, a couple of weeks ago and it was really good. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, but it always comes down to the attention to detail and just like the little things. And you said there's 1% and I, you know, I always forget about that because mm-hmm. a lot of us run in the same networks, you know, we have yes. veteran friends with this and that. And then we're, and we're just type of people, you know, I've been law enforcement, military, and every time I see anything, it's just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing that. But that's mm-hmm. what I like about this, this community. Now, do you have well, an- and, oh, and I think that, um, you know, two things. One, even the person that they had doing the uniform was an army reservist. So it was very attention to detail. You know, are these things realistic? Because originally I was a colonel. And then we both agreed like, oh, that I'm not old enough to be a colonel. So we bumped it down to lieutenant colonel. It's things like that, that it makes it a little more believable. And, you know, that's what's important is you want to have veterans in the creative process 
or you're not going to tell the stories right. And one thing that drives me crazy about Hollywood, and it's getting better, um, you know, and Hawaii Five is a perfect example, but they'll say, oh, you know, we want to tell the story of the transgender community or people of color or, you know, women struggling in this particular workforce in, in a period picture. And they involve women and transgender people and people of color in the, the storytelling process. It's not perfect, but they've gotten a lot better. And they understand that and they include people. It is not as prevalent in military stories. It's like, oh, we love you guys. We love your stories. We're going to tell your stories. We're going to make money from your stories, but we don't really want you guys involved in the creative process. And you can tell veterans when we watch something, veterans, law enforcement, first responders, when you watch something and it's not accurate, you can tell that clearly our communities were not involved in the storytelling and that's essential. No, it is definitely. Now, have you played a, um, a veteran, not a veteran, but a military member in any other roles? I have. And it's so funny, you know, I have, but I haven't as much as I would think. Um, when I first moved to Hollywood, I would get so frustrated because I would go in for these veteran roles because there's a veteran casting note out right now saying, you know, please submit military veterans where applicable. And these aren't, you know, random vets. They are veterans who went to acting school, who have agents, who have managers, people who are pursuing this seriously um, because it is an art. You can't just be somebody off the street and come in an audition. Um, you have to know camera angles and lingo. It, there's lots of different things you have to understand prior to auditioning. So I would go in for these roles and they'd be like, ooh, you just don't look like a vet. And for me, that was so frustrating because I, I tried to explain veterans are a microcosm of society. What does that mean? I don't look like a vet. So being able to book Hawaii Five O because that was so high profile. I've played I've played veteran and service member in other productions, but Hawaii Five O was so high profile that hopefully that changed a lot of people's minds. I was in a film called A Dog's Way Home, which is kind of the sequel. It's it's not a sequel, but it's in the same world as A Dog's Purpose with Dennis Quaid, and there. There's a scene where it's all veterans and they actually cast, except for two people, all real veterans. So there's five veterans on set playing veterans, which I just thought was so great. They flew us up to Vancouver. They said, listen, you guys are vets and you need to be involved in, in the storytelling of your story. And for me, that it, it was just such a small but respectful and impactful offer to say, hey, let's actually put vets in these roles. Now, and that shows a lot. And, you know, it builds their audience knowing that there's stories like this out there, too. And I think a lot of producers and directors are kind of seeing that. Now. I mean, just from a layman, you know, looking from the outside, looking in. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you now? Is that an upcoming movie? That's think, a movie that was it was just released in theaters, I want to say, in January. So it's actually probably coming out on DVD pretty soon. For parents who might be listening, no dogs die. So don't be afraid to, oh, I don't want to put my kid through this. It's a family-friendly movie. It's very cute. It's kind of this generation's Homeward Bound. Um, it's definitely a family-friendly movie. I took my four-year-old to go see it in the theater. And of course, he screamed, Mommy, when I came, came on the screen, which was just so cute. Um, but I made sure that it was really good for kids prior to bringing him and it is i have no reservations about that okay we're definitely watching that one that's our we love the dog movies i had to throw that out. i mean they're the best movies ever and the dog's way home was oh my gosh <laughs> yeah so and i think with the dog's purpose it was so oh gosh when the dog died i was like no i mean spoiler alert it's been it's been out a couple of years but with the dog's purpose every time the dog died it was just Oh, just drive me crazy. And I was so sad in a dog's way home. Nobody, no, no dogs die. So I know people don't want to see 
movies of dogs dying and I understand that. I don't either. It's sad. <laughs> okay, I'll correct myself a dog's purpose. That's what I mean. That's the one that really, ugh, I can't it's handle It's heart-wrenching, dogs right? Die. Oh, it's so heart-wrenching. And you know, Hollywood knows that they did it with old yeller. <laughs> I know. So now you actually have some other ventures coming. Did you want to talk about that or... Yeah, I have a lot of stuff going on. Gosh. Um, so as actors, we have to sign these really great non-disclosure agreements where we book things and then we can't talk about them <laughs> for a very long time. So I actually have five projects on my IM, that are not on my IMDb that are coming out this year, but it's going to be a busy year. Um, there's a project that I'm working on now and I'm getting ready to travel for about three months all over the country and we're shooting in different places. So that's pretty much all that I can say, but it's going to be really wonderful. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. That's amazing cast and crew and I'm really excited to work with them. Now, one thing I've I've been following you on Instagram for a while, and what we look, what I look for in this podcast is for people that actually give back. They're veterans, but they also do a lot more. Mm -hmm. Now, you actually volunteer for like, is it pinups for vets? Yeah, I'm I'm really active in the veteran nonprofit space. I, you know, being an actor, I'm so fortunate because I, I'm I only have to work two to four days a month, depending. Um, you know, actors make a good amount of money. Now that's not to say I'm sitting around the rest of the time you're auditioning, you have callbacks, you know, you're, there's just a bunch of things that you're doing as an actor um, in the meanwhile, but it gives me a lot of time to volunteer. And that's partially why I stay in this field is because if I can work, you know, three days a month and then have 25 to 27 to 28 days a month to volunteer, or spend time with my kids. That's amazing. So I'm an ambassador for the congressionally recognized award-winning nonprofit Pinups for Vets. We dress up as World War II era pinup girls, very modest, but very colorful. We go in and we visit veterans at their bedside in nursing homes, hospitals, wounded warrior detachments. We do morale boosting makeovers for female veterans and military spouses. We send care packages abroad. We visited 12,000 veterans at their bedside and we have donated over $60,000 of VA equipment, um, to re of rehab equipment to VA facilities. So it's an amazing organization that I'm proud to represent. I also, you know, deliver meals for the local senior center. I volunteer at the vet center. I volunteer with veterans in media and entertainment. Um, so that's really what fuels me is giving back to the community. And one thing I'm particularly uh, fiery about is the issue of transition because as veterans, you know, it takes two to three months to become a soldier, sailor, Marine, airman, coast guardsman. But then when we get out, we have five days of transition assistance program. So for a lot of people, they get out, they've never been a civilian. How do I do this? How do I sign up for college? How do I pay my mortgage? How do I do any of this? Because uncle Sam has pretty much taken care of this for you for four years, eight years, 12 years, 20 years, right? So what I always tell vets is stay within the community. Do not isolate yourself from the community. Stay within, reach out, ask people for help, volunteer within the community. Because if you spend all this time giving back to a cause greater than yourself, when you become a civilian, that doesn't go away. And you're going to have a huge hole that you're not going to be able to fill unless you fill it with volunteering, giving back, camaraderie of other veterans. It's very important. No, it is definitely. And that's one point I wanted to bring up. And I, you kind of mentioned it before was the networking aspect of mm -hmm. all of this. You always have to network. And I noticed that, you know, you, you made a good point. It is a business. It's in, mm -hmm. you know, acting is a business. So do you have that strong support and network with other veterans out there? Oh my gosh. I tell you, Jason, it was 
when I first moved out here, I had kind of Googled, are there any veterans up here, veterans organizations with acting? And there wasn't. And then literally a few months after I had Googled that, one one came into fruition. And the veteran community here, people say, oh, Los Angeles, you think it'd be super liberal and a lot of vets wouldn't live there. It is super liberal. Um, there's a good mix of vets here, conservative, super conservative, super liberal, liberal, libertarian, you name it. But the veteran community has really just been so impactful and beneficial for me. Um, when I first moved here, I was humble enough to say, you know what? I don't know acting in a big city. I need some help. I'm here to take advice and listen. I'm not too good for this and too good for that. So I really just humbled myself and took took the advice of people who had been here longer. And, you know, the veteran community here is so strong that some of the vets that I know have pretty much, you know, become aunts and uncles to my children because they see them far more than their biological family would see them. So it is so important to surround yourself with people who understand what you've been through to not fall into, you know, issues of, of depression and substance abuse and, you know, the things that tend to plague our community. It's, it's, and I understand because you get out and if you're surrounded by civilians who don't understand, where do you even start? How, how can you talk to anybody? Who can you talk to? Yeah, it's the biggest thing about our generation or well, our generations is, uh, you know, it's not like the Vietnam era. Now you have ways to connect with people, social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And that's, you know, the big draw to the Instagram accounts, to the Facebook accounts, I'm trying to stay away from Twitter. But, you know, you actually could find other vets that have gone through similar situations and you could also right. network. So, yeah, it's great. And I think, you know, any vets who may be transitioning, um, you know, I just want to say, go on LinkedIn and see if you can find a mentor because most of the time it's just an ask. And if we ask, people are happy to help. And a lot of people will say to me because they know my position in the veteran community, that I know a lot of veterans, that I work with nonprofits, that I've led a nonprofit. So they'll say to me, you know, thank you for your service. Thank you guys for your service. And I never let people off that, that, that nicely. I always say, well, thank you. Do you want to know how you can tangibly help a vet? And most people, whether they want to know or not, will say yes, sheepishly, or they will say yes because they really do. And I'll say, great. And I'll bring up mentorship with people because generally people that I'm talking to are people who work at studios or casting. You know, it's somebody in that arena. If you offer to mentor a veteran or open an opportunity up for a veteran, we don't need a handout. Sometimes just a hand up will help. So if you're on LinkedIn and and you think, boy, I want to be A, B, or C, reach out to somebody who's now in that field who is a veteran or just message somebody whose career you'd like to emulate and say, hi, just so you know, I'm a veteran. You know, I just made the transition. I'm wondering if you'd give me a few minutes of your time. Most people will say yes. And I've had probably 10 people reach out to me on LinkedIn and I've had conversations with all 10 of them. I'm still in contact with all 10 of them, but it's something most people just don't do because as veterans, we don't necessarily like to ask. But ask. It's okay. No, that's the truth. And, you know, I I volunteer with two organizations like that just because I've been in federal law enforcement. I know the hiring process. Mm -hmm. One is Hire Heroes USA and one is Veterate. And I've gotten tons and tons of uh, different veterans I've helped with resumes and everything. So that's my shameless plug for anybody who wants to help volunteer. Oh, that's wonderful. And it goes any, it could be any career, anything. Because what they'll do is they'll reach out to me when a, uh, 
when a veteran wants to get into federal law enforcement. So let's say a veteran wants to get into acting, they could reach out to, you know, someone like you, or they want to get into the corporate realm. They reach out to someone like them and these organizations put you in contact with them and they handle, which is great. Yeah. And that's exactly what they need. Nobody, I haven't met one veteran that's reach out to me and say, Hey bro, can you give me a thousand dollars? No, it's always like, Hey, how can you help me get to the next level? Right. Exactly. And you know, I do want to say, one thing about when you're transitioning, and I don't know if this happens on the law enforcement side, but it happens a lot with acting. Uh, people will come here and they'll say, I had one guy and I always tell the story. He said, well, I was a gunny sergeant in the Marine Corps and I shouldn't have to do this BS and yada, yada, yada. I shouldn't have to do extra work or take classes. I should just get a speaking role. And I said, with all due respect, if somebody plays a gunnery sergeant four times, you know, twice in TV, twice in films, then that means they should go into the Corps as a gunnery sergeant, right? And he said, well, that's effing ridiculous. I said, with all due respect, what you're advocating for is ridiculous because you have to humble yourself and start at the bottom because you're an expert in whatever branch you're in or whatever rank you are does not mean that that's applicable to anything else unless you get out and you go into civil service as a GS, whatever, but you still have to learn the civilian side of it. So don't be afraid to humble yourself and say, you know what, especially your first few years, I will work on anything. I will get the training necessary. I will do what I have to do because another thing that we run into is people say, well, this actor didn't necessarily go to school and they're great. Sure, that actor didn't go to school for acting. They just have a private coach that costs $250 to $500 an hour, which is the same exact thing. It's just super, super expensive. A dentist would never open an office, get business cards and start drilling teeth. The dentist has to go to school. But for some reason, people come out, they want to be actors, they get headshots and say, I'm ready. I, uh, it's not, it's not going to cut it, you know? And I, I don't know if the same thing exists with veterans who go into law enforcement. Maybe you can kind of, um, you know, t- tell me a little bit more about that, but I, I do see it a lot. And I think maybe it's just because it's entertainment where people think that that transition is seamless and it's not, it's a whole new industry and you have to start over. Now we do see it in law enforcement. You see it everywhere, but it, it always comes down to, you know, the Navy has what A schools. We have the base, the, the advanced schools. You have to train. You have to understand the job you're putting in for. You have to mm-hmm. kind of. You can't just become an actor. Right. I mean, I, I like just like me. I've been trying to do an audio book for. I can't be a voiceover. I've know that now. <laughs> I can't do certain things just because I happen to have a background in anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. I couldn't go on TV right now and play a cop. I mean, there's too much to it. I mean. Yeah. So it's definitely, and that's the same way. You can't just, Hey, you know what? I was a gunny sergeant. I was a, you know, an infantry guy. I was a military policeman and then come out and say, just give me a job. I don't need training. I'm just going to go and do it. There's, there's too much to it. Right. So, and yeah. and I think, you know, I think we understand that, well, people have to go to boot camp and they have to learn how to be whatever branch they are. But for some reason with entertainment, we just think, Oh, well, you know, we did this in the military, so we should be perfect. And to be fair, There are times I facilitate uh, casting opportunities and I will have actors who are veterans send in tapes and I will have veterans who are not actors, but who want to be actors send in tapes. And the difference is astounding just in, you know, things that you learn in school. So I always tell people, if you want to see a tape of somebody who's been acting a long time, who happened to have served, here's a tape and here's a tape of a newbie that I always, I always ask permission, but here's a tape of somebody new. And you can learn a lot just by looking at those two tapes like, wow, okay, this is a serious career that takes 
you know, it takes, it takes a lot. And as, as veterans, we're often told and in law enforcement, you know, keep those emotions inside, stay buckled down, stay serious. And as an actor, you have to be emotionally available. So that's really, really difficult for a lot of vets to turn that off. And it takes years. That's the truth. And, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up too, is like, in infantry, if you have a fighting position, you're always continuously improving it. So whenever I talk to anybody, and this is the same way in acting, you always have to continuously improve yourself. That could be, hey, you know, your resume, you got to continuously improve that. You know, you're acting, you need to improve it by going to a coach, by learning more, by witnessing things. So yeah, it's it's a continuous improvement. And and also, you know, some people say, well, I don't necessarily want to go to class. I'd rather private coach. And I said, well, private coaching is always an option. Um, it's generally for people who are on location or something. But I have personally learned so much by being in class, watching other actors, what not to do, what to do. But I think once again, you know, people get embarrassed and people get shy and people don't want to make mistakes. Class is is the place to make mistakes. You want to work out all those kinks in class because that's a supportive environment surrounded by other actors and people who understand. You don't want to walk into an audition and then work out your kinks there because that that's just going to lead to not booking anything. Now, that's actually a great, great, uh, great thing to bring up because then you also have an acting class. I'd imagine you have networking as well. Yeah, and that's always nice. And I, you know, you had asked how supportive the veteran community was out here. For example, there are plenty of classes that I've gone to in my six years here. And actors tend to be, for the most part, this isn't everybody, but they tend to guard information and everybody's competition. And I don't want to help this person. And my only competition is myself. I don't worry about what other people are doing. And maybe that's you know, why I book is I'm not concerned with other people. I don't get into the drama. I don't do that. Now with veterans who are in the acting space, for the most part, people are like, oh gosh, not only am I not going to guard information, I'm going to tell you all the pitfalls I fell into so you can avoid it, which has been great because and now occasionally there, there's the occasional blue falcon, right? All the time. But for the most part, vets here have been like, let me help you, you know, here's a good class I took. Here's a great instructor. Here's a good headshot photographer. And it just takes time. It takes time off the equation. And time is money. We come into this business late. We are not getting any younger. When I moved to Hollywood, I was already over 30. I mean, that's like the kiss of death, right? (laughs) Not at all. Not anymore. Come on. Dennis Farina was like 60 when he started doing, uh, or 50s. He was a you remember Dennis Farina? The uh, I do, I love yeah. him. I was so sad when he died. But I would challenge you to say to to look at TV shows. A lot of the times there are silver fox actors, and they are always with younger actresses. There are very few actresses over fifty who are still working, and those actresses are ones that are established. I see it time and time again because I'm constantly brought in for that. Where they'll say, "Oh, okay, we're going to pair you with this guy who's 55, 60. and that for me is infuriating because what about the women who are fifty? They should be working too. And I don't really want to be part of something that, you know, tells women at a certain age, "Eh, you know, you have gray hair, you have wrinkles. Sure, because gray hair and wrinkles happen. You know, I hope to be an actor when I'm 90 dancing in my depends across your TV screen. You know, polydent depends, send all that stuff my way. That's awesome. I'll pitch it. (laughs) I agree. No, you'll be, you'll definitely be established by then. Believe me. Uh, Well, I hope, I mean, shoot, that's a long ways away. So I hope I can get some footholding by then. Exactly. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Is there anything you want to pitch or anything you want to talk about? You know, I just appreciate you having me. Um, And I want to tell people, I hear a lot from people 
you know, you're, you're living the life I wish I had, or you're going after something I wish I could do. Don't ever wish. We only have one life. Don't wish, just go and do it. Because if I had looked at all my friends who were moving from Virginia to Los Angeles and said, boy, they're all single. They can move out there. I have kids. I have two kids, two dogs, three cats, a husband. I can't possibly move. Your only limitation is yourself. Envision the life that you want to have and chase after that. You'd be surprised at how much awesome shit you can accomplish. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But you know me, I'm 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 getting closer to 50 than I am 40. So, and I'm finally getting to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do everything I always wanted to do. Heck so, yeah, yeah, I love that. It's it's great. And that's that's a great message to have for everybody. Do it. So yep. yeah. Thank you, Jennifer, and we will be uh in contact soon. Definitely. Thank- Thank you for having me. And I want to say one more thing to all the veterans and first responders out there. Thank you so much for your service and sacrifice. What you guys do is vastly underappreciated by the majority of the public. And I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you.